Well, good morning. It's really great to be home. I have so many memories of this sanctuary. I was, I was thinking, I have memories of kneeling over there on the second cushion um, when I was baptized and confirmed. Um, you know, just a, a powerful memory sitting on the front row for a family funeral. I remember a, um, a time in my youth group years when I was a leader in the youth group and feeling so responsible and yet sitting over there near one of those two pillars and talking through the service to a friend of mine loudly, having a really good time when the person sitting in front of us turned around and told us in no uncertain term how important worship was and how we had ruined it for them and shamed me in such an appropriate way that I've never forgotten it and have never talked through another worship service since. It was powerful. I remember lying on the floor in that back section of pews in the dark um, on a youth lock-in as we played sardines, and our whoever was in charge forgot to tell us the sanctuary should be off-limits for such games, and lay under those pews in the dark claustrophobically for what felt like hours before anybody found me. Really cool when you're a teenager. Um, But most importantly, I remember standing right here in this pulpit when I was about 16 years old, preaching my first sermon on Youth Sunday. I think I chose 1 Timothy 4.12 as my scripture. I don't honestly remember much that I said that day. I remember feeling nervous and excited, feeling like I had something to say and I couldn't believe that all these adults were going to sit out there and listen and take me seriously And I was so excited because the scripture was about the leadership of young people. And I had been raised in a church. You raised me to believe that young people's ideas mattered and our energy mattered and our faith mattered. It was a big, important day for me. So I stood here and I preached. And when I finished, this whole front row were some of my best friends. And when I said amen at the end, they held up scorecards. Like... Like in the Olympic gymnastic events, only they were smart and they held them up sort of, you know, right in front of their chest so their parents couldn't see and they didn't get in trouble. But I started giggling at the end of my sermon and then sat down. So, but it's a happy memory now. What great friends I had. What an amazing church to invite a clumsy, nervous 16-year-old to stand up in front of you back in the days where not many women were clergy, not many females stood and delivered a sermon. I wasn't even fully in touch with my own sense of call, but you invited me to stand here to open God's word and to share it with you. So you're partly responsible for my call to ministry that, that grew and developed, and therefore I thank you. Now, I need to ask, what in the world were you thinking? I, 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 Bill Bagwell and I need to sit down and talk. To come for week five of the seven deadly sins. Like, there's so many things I'd love to talk about. And now that I'm a chaplain and not a pastor, I don't preach every Sunday, so I get invited when people, when the pastor's going out of town, which usually means it's a, it's a scripture or a text or a theme they don't want to deal with. So I never, I never do the happy, easy things. So sloth, excuse me, sloth. So my first thought was, isn't that a slow-moving animal from the jungles, you know, the trees of Central America? I thought, yeah, that's not what they're looking for. Then my next thought is the irony. I grew up as the perennial overachiever, obnoxiously so. I strive for the opposite of sloth. My first memory of this church, when we first came here, I was three or four 
was the church Easter egg hunt. And that year, I found the prize egg. And all I could think was, I'm four, and I beat the big kids. I got the prize egg. And the pride, I should be preaching on pride, right? And my parents took a picture of me with the chocolate bunny that I won. That's how I started. 1986, William James Middle School, captain of the state champion Georgia History Quiz Bowl team. 1986, William James, first ever science Olympiad team. We won regionals, we went to Georgia Tech, we won states, we went to Michigan State University, competed at the nationals. I'm in eighth grade and I'm already building my college application. Statesboro High, math team, mini model UN, high school basketball, high school softball, still have my letter jacket, still wear it sometimes. President of the youth group, most likely to succeed, class of 1990. You want me to talk about sloth. (laughs) So I spent my entire childhood trying to prove to you that I'm likable, try to prove to you that I'm lovable, that I'm wonderful, that I'm something, right? So I picked up Bishop Willimon's book that the sermon series is based off of, wondering what I was going to say about sloth. Sloth is a sin. We are all sinners, and by week five of a seven-week series, we should have that down, right? We're all sinners. I am a sinner just like you, but as I, as I started to engage this, I thought, I am a sinner, but sloth is not my sin, right? But the more I read and the more I prepared, I began to ask some questions and wonder if there are not two sides to the same coin, more to sloth than we realize, If any of you are not reading Willimon's book, I don't know if you often follow along on the books for the sermon series. I highly recommend it. It's an excellent book. Willimon points out that sloth is different than the other, the six of the other seven sins, in that the other sins are bad things that you do, right? You might do against someone else or do to someone else. Sloth is more of a sin of omission, the stuff you leave undone that you fail to finish or not even start or don't even care enough to get up off the couch and try, right? Sloth is the sin of not bothering to pray, never taking time to fast, not picking up the Bible to read scripture, not making time to serve the poor. It's a sort of laziness, but it's also a sort of Futility, a giving up, a why bother attitude. The scripture we heard this morning from Ecclesiastes, why bother? It's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. It's all for nothing. Sloth is a little cynical in some of us. In others of us, it's just plain worn out. You know, you just get tired. Been on the same committee for a lot of years. Just done, right? Sloth can even be a form of spiritual depression, despair. But whatever spawns it, the mark of sloth is a lack of action that's rooted in a lack of faith. Right? That what we do doesn't matter anyway. Why pray? Does it change anything, you ask yourself? Why read the Bible? You've heard those stories before, right? Why put money in the offering plate if what you put in is just a drop in the bucket? Why go on a mission trip? Dominican Republic, the people you meet, they'll still be in poverty, right, when you leave. Why bother? Why serve in the children's ministry? Because you're not an expert in Christianity. Somebody else can do that. 
why even show up on Sunday? There's lots going on if you're back home or had your TV on. Why bother? If you've ever felt that way in a moment or in a season of your life, then you've felt sloth. The thing is, Christian faith believes that God can intervene in the most ordinary of situations. That God can take the ordinary and transform the things of this world to things we can't even imagine or dream of. Sloth believes, why bother? All there is is what we can see and touch and change ourselves. That's all there really is, right? Failing to recognize or see or believe in the power and work of the Spirit. Sloth is more than just laziness. Sloth is like giving up on God. Not believing that God is at work in our world. Sloth is not a measure of how busy your hands are. It's how empty your imagination is or your soul Which brings me back to my long and trophy-like introduction of myself. I was, and in many ways still am, an overachiever. I work all the time. I win awards. It feels good to win awards. Get grants at my college. It's the big joke. Like, so what grant did you apply for this week? It feels great. People tell you how great you are. Everybody appreciates appreciation, right? That's why we do it. Yeah. But some of us, it's like we seem to need it, to hear the praise, to hear the compliments all the time. And we start to think, well, if I can be a winner, then it it means I'm okay. If, If I can come out on top, like take things into my own hands, prove that I can do it, prove that I'm all I need, prove that I have faith in my own accomplishments, uh oh. I may talk about God, but I clearly trust in my ability to perform and succeed. And the next thing you know, it's not looking like Christianity at all. So I'm supposed to talk about sloth, but what I'm realizing, if sloth is about not doing anything because you don't think God's really doing anything anyway, overachieving is not all that different. I mean, it's different in terms of how busy you are. You're a lot busier. But it's the exact same rejection of God. Sloth says, why bother? God's not going to do anything anyway. Overachieving says, you better bother and you better do it yourself because God's probably not going to do it or do it right or do it fast enough or do it the way you want it. Both are rooted in a deep lack of faith, a lack of trust that God holds us, that God is present and active with us in all that we do in every place that we go, that we are never alone, never outside of God's reach of grace and mercy and justice and power and love. And so it's sin, folks, to lack trust in God, to allow ourselves to be separated, to believe that we don't need God. Would you rather me stop and... Talk about the little furry animals. Yeah, that's, that's easier, right? If we had a video screen, if this were the contemporary service, I'd pause now and show you the clip from the Ellen DeGeneres show where Kristen Bell comes on and they are going to bring out a sloth and she starts to cry and it's really funny and you should Google that. But we're not in the contemporary service. And I shouldn't waste time because it's been 29 years since I stood in this pulpit. 29 years. So I'd better make this good and get back down to business. 
In his book, Will Willimon insists that we pause and look at the sin of sloth, that we look at ourselves, that we look at our own hearts and our own souls and see what we find. Nobody I know is talking about sloth. Have you ever heard a song on Christian radio about sloth? Never. Have you ever had a Sunday school book or lesson or series on sloth? Never. It's not, the, it's not a word you hear on the evening news. It's old-fashioned. It's odd. I'd never really thought about it. But as I read this book and as Willimon named it, he takes this dusty old archaic word and he makes it real. He says, if you can't make time to actually put your faith into practice, if you're not reading scripture, if you're not praying, if you're not serving the poor, if you never fast, if you don't worship regularly, then you are mired in sloth. To call yourself a Christian and just and have the audacity to let others think that you are, and all you mean by that is that you show up at church often enough to be recognized, right? Because, you know, you're busy, got lots of priorities. Seems good enough? No. I found two quotes I wanted to share. Both are attributed to Martin Luther, but I always give the footnote. Nobody, they're really not. I mean, he didn't write them, but these kind of fit Martin Luther, you know, the historic Lutheran um, pastor. One quote is this. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian and not pray is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So when was the last time you prayed, not counting, this morning in church? I work with about 20 pre-ministerial students, and I love to put them in partners and ask them questions and put them on the spot. I love to say, get a partner. Tell them what you prayed about today. Oh, okay, if you didn't pray today, tell them what you prayed about yesterday. Um, and if you didn't pray yesterday, then what are you doing here? Right. Right. So, so us, do we come to church once a week so somebody else can pray for us? Or are we praying? Are we practicing our faith? Now, you might argue that you're just too busy, that you are doing a lot of good, and it's hard to find time to do all the things that, that you know, might be recommended. So here's the other quote attributed to Martin Luther. He says, I have so much to do that if I didn't spend at least three hours a day in prayer, I would never get it all done. Let that sink in. I have so much to do that if I didn't pray over it for three hours a day, I would never get it all done. Wow. That leads to the flip side of Willimon's coin that I was trying to add to the discussion Some of us don't put our faith into practice because we don't think it matters. We've just given up on God. We're just in a rut. Others of us are so busy trying to do it ourselves and achieve and make everything work out what we think is the right way. We've stopped asking God about God's way and God's time. So some of us look lazy and some of us look busy, but none of us are being faithful, right? Faithfulness is acting in full trust and relying on God. The sin is in our souls, the sin of sloth, when we don't trust and reach out to God. We can get so busy saving our own soul that we forget Jesus has already done that for us. And now Jesus wants to be with us, to guide us, to direct our energy and our gifts and our talents so that 
that we aren't too busy for the God that we say we serve and believe in. The sin, the sloth that keeps, keeps us from relying on God and fully practicing our faith, whether it's our laziness and apathy or our trust in ourselves and our own abilities. The life of a Christian is about connecting. It's about accepting God's grace, about God calling to us and our responding about our being open to receive God's gifts, God's forgiveness, and God's transformation. But to do that, we have to believe that God is alive and at work in our lives and in the world. Because when we stop believing that, we're in trouble. We're just running around in circles. We forget who we are and whose we are. Sloth and overachieving, they're going to creep up on all of us in different seasons of our lives. The urge to trust in ourselves or to just give up. So when you find yourself there, name it, confess it, talk to God about it, talk to your pastors about it, talk to your neighbors, keep seeking until you realize again that God's been there all along. It's just your perception that had changed. A sloth is a slow-moving little animal, not only in the rainforest, but often in our soul. It creeps in little by little by little. For all of us, at one time or another. Willimon recalls in his book, he attended Wofford College as an undergrad, and he said back in that day they had an honor code. You could be expelled from the college for the usual sins, he said, of plagiarism, indiscretions with the opposite sex, habitual drunkenness, and failure to profit from a Wofford education. You could be kicked out of school for not making the most of the education they were trying to give you? What if you could be kicked out of church for not making the most of the grace that God's given you? That's a scary thought. I'm not suggesting it. But whoa, whoa. God has given us an amazing, incomprehensible gift in Jesus Christ. Don't let the slow-moving sloth creep into your soul Fan the flames of your passion for God. Spend time each day in prayer. You have too many important things to not spend time in prayer. Pick up your Bible and read it. Fast or give something up, not just at Lent, but for your own spiritual growth and connection to God throughout the year. Go on a mission trip. The mission trips from this church, starting from my sixth grade year when we went to Johns Island, South Carolina, were the most formative parts of my faith development. Every youth mission trip. You guys are headed to Dominican Republic soon. Consider it. Invite a friend or neighbor. Go on a spiritual retreat. Walk a prayer labyrinth. Read a theology book. Okay, so your pastor, there's a little bathroom off of his office. He's got bookshelves lined with all these books in his little secret bathroom. It was fascinating. Ask him to borrow a book. There's good stuff in there. Learn some church history. Take part in a social justice protest. Go sit at the bedside of a neighbor who lives in a nursing home. Get to know a child in poverty. Whatever God is calling you to do, put your faith into practice. Believe that God is alive and is at work. If you do, I believe with all my heart, you'll find God active, out there, true. The author of Ecclesiastes And just said, this is all pointless, temporary, you know, vanity. 
My prayer for you as I close today is that you know with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength that when you put away the sloth and you put away the bent toward overachieving, what you'll find inside your own bare, bleeding soul is a God who bled for you, who loves you more than you can ever love yourself, and who only wants the best for you and your neighbor and all of the world, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.